everyone. Welcome to the Metaphysical Apothecary podcast. I'm your host, Megan, one half of the Scorpio sisters. I'm coming to you solo with the second part of our Meet the Witch mini-series. Hello, magic makers. Today, I'm going to be talking about deity interaction. When I first started exploring paganism, this was the most confusing thing to me. <laughs> I had deities that I knew were reaching out to me. I had entities that wanted to help guide me or be in my presence. And I just, I had absolutely no idea how to interact with these beings, especially for people who come from an evangelical or fundamentalist Christian background like myself. Deity interaction can be a really sticky wicket. We're taught not to bother God with certain things. We're taught that God's concerns are ineffable and infinite, and our interactions should be limited to gratitude and asking for blessings for others, not for ourselves. We're only expressing gratitude for the things that we have. We're not bugging God with our problems. It's a very toxic atmosphere, so interacting with deity after coming out of that can be really confusing. If you're coming from a background where you weren't really raised in religion, or a spiritual practice, it can also be kind of confusing to understand how to develop a relationship and why these deities are reaching out to you in the first place. Now I say reaching out. That is not to say that you can't go seeking a deity's attention. If you feel like you want to work with a particular deity, you can absolutely reach out to them. If they say no to you, you do need to listen. You cannot work with a deity without their consent, and the opposite is also true. If a deity reaches out to you, and you do not want to work with them, or you need an intercessor, a deity, or an entity as a go-between between you and that god, that's also completely okay. There are two gods in particular, Zeus and Odin, who are not allowed to interact with me. I felt stirrings that they might be interested about a year ago and I shut it down immediately and said absolutely not this is not going to happen I don't want either one of you in my presence and both of them went away they left me alone so that's already one huge difference <laughs> between a pagan pantheon and Christian fundamentalism right we don't have a choice but to interact with God and Jesus it's interesting because when you work with the Christian God and Jesus outside of Christian boundaries, you start to discover that they're a lot more like the pagan gods in the way that they respect personal boundaries, they respect asking for consent, they're not 100% infallible. That was difficult for me to say even now, <laughs> as much healing as I've done. When you begin to realize or recognize that deities are reaching out to you, the first thing you should do is get it confirmed. So you can confirm it yourself with a divination a technique like tarot, a talking board, an oracle card deck or an oracle casting set. You can get it confirmed by a friend. You can do both. However you want to do that is up to you, but once you've confirmed their identity, it's like, now what do I do? <laughs> but that's when the fun begins, because that's when you start to get to know them. So many modern pagans have very 
casual but respectful relationships with their deities. <laughs> There's a certain amount of loving irreverence that goes along with a lot of the relationships that we develop with our pantheons. Every Loki venerant has definitely called him an asshole or worse at least once. <laughs> and he's completely okay with that. He's like, I know. <laughs> a couple of other deities I work with other than Loki include Lucifer, and he's a drama queen. He knows he's a drama queen, and he owns it. My wife, even though she's no longer Christian, works with Jesus. And a lot of pagans and Christo-pagans work with Jesus. Outside of Christianity, he's very chill. He's like the very wise old hippie that you go to who offers you herbal refreshment, wink wink, and a donut. <laughs> While he feeds you some wisdom you may or may not be ready for. Freya, who is someone else I work with, she is unabashedly obsessed with cats. She would like to know how my cats are doing. That was her main concern when my cat was still with us. And Lilith, who's also someone else I work with, Lilith never passes up the chance to make a 69 joke. Or some other middle school sort of dirty joke sitting over there snickering about <laughs> different things. My experiences are not universal. Everybody's relationship with deity is different. So you might have a much more serious relationship with Lilith. Or if you work with Lucifer, you might primarily be connected to his warrior aspect or his mentor aspect. Where it's a mentor-apprentice relationship and less of a two friends interacting. But that's the relationship that I have with most of my deities. It's more of a casual parent-child thing or older sibling, younger sibling connection. And I know a lot of other pagans who have similar relationships with their pantheons. And I feel like so many of us have casual relationships with our pantheons because it helps us develop that intimate, vulnerable relationship that we were supposed to have with our parents and with the Christian God that we didn't get. So I don't need anyone to tell me that my pantheon loves me because I know they do. I can feel it because we have a level of vulnerability with each other that allows us to joke back and forth, that allows them to tell me things that I may not want to hear. <laughs> and developing a relationship like this isn't super different from developing a relationship with a friend or a partner. So fair warning, now we're going to get into the nitty gritty of my suggestions for building a lasting relationship with the deities and entities that are reaching out to you. As I go through these suggestions, they're going to go from fairly mundane to increasingly more esoteric. Some of the suggestions I make may sound like woo-woo bullshit to some people, and that's okay. Personally, I happen to thrive on woo-woo bullshit. It's one of the reasons that witchcraft was so appealing to me, because I really wanted to have interactions with the paranormal. I wanted to explore the vibrations of the world around me. I didn't know that's what I wanted, but it feels very correct for me to do that. So I'm going to include all of the methods from my personal experience, but you don't have to use all of them or any of them. This is all just inspiration for your own relationships with your deities and guiding powers. So one of the first things that I feel many people do when they begin interacting with a deity is research. A lot of pagan gods have 
fallen into obscurity, so we may not know everything about them, or what we do know about them is very surface level. Like um, Freya, for example. Oh, she's the goddess of love and war. That is true. That is correct. She is on the Norse pantheon. She's the goddess of love and war. But there is so much more beneath the surface. <laughs> there is a huge wealth of information about her, her interactions with the other gods, her interactions with humans, the things that she likes and doesn't like. And these are all the things that you can learn through research. Now, it's okay if you don't know how to do research. Not all of us are trained in research. I was raised by a historian. I am a historian myself. I also got a degree in English literature, so research is something that I grew up with and was immersed in. But if you don't have research, that's okay. Researching your deity is very different from researching, say, a master's thesis. <laughs> you can start with the Wikipedia page. Go ahead and start with a Wikipedia page. If you can find books and scholarly articles about your deity, go ahead and look through those too. Skim them. Go down rabbit holes about a particular story. Read source material. Read the Eddas if you are interacting with a deity from the Norse pantheon. Read the Eddas or read the Odyssey and the Aeneid and the Iliad if you're interacting with Greek deities. You can read the truncated versions. It's okay. You don't have to slog through <laughs> all of the very dry material, but give yourself some background on who these entities actually are. One of the ways when I started working with Anansi, there is not a lot of, shall we say, scholarly information out there about him that I was able to find. The way that I learned about Anansi was primarily through reading stories about him, which if you know anything about Anansi, who is the keeper of all stories, that's the way that he wanted me to learn about him. It's very logical step for me to take. Where I read all of his fables and I read through fictional works that people had written about him, Neil Gaiman's Anansi Boys and American Gods. So that is another way you can absolutely learn about your deity. Madeline Miller's books are a great way to learn about certain Greek deities. And I know that there are fictional works that blend mythology into them really, really well. So if you'd like to read for entertainment, that's a way to learn about this being that's reaching out. Once you've got that baseline, altars are a very traditional way to interact with deity. A lot of people, when they picture an altar, think table with candles, very specific things, and you do very specific things at the altar. It can look like whatever you want it to look like. It can be a couple of stuffed animals and a salt lamp on top of your bookshelf. If you have a couple of cat plushies and a salt lamp and a bottle of perfume and that's your altar for Freya, go for it. If that's what feels right for you and your relationship with her, go for it. Or if that's not what you want it to look like, but that's what you have right now, it's also okay. It's a place for the two of you to interact with each other. That's all an altar is. It's kind of a guest room for deity and spiritual interactions in your home. So you can also create altar spaces and sacred spaces for your deities by gardening. It can be a small potted plant that you dedicate to Demeter. You can create an entire gothic garden full of hyssop and anise and black flowers and an arbor with grapes on it for Hecate. If you'd like, it can be elaborate or it can be small. It just needs to be sacred. And things are sacred because we say they are. So if it feels sacred to you, then it is. And the research never stops, by the way. <laughs> 
you're just going to keep going down rabbit holes intermittently for the rest of your relationship with this deity. For me, that's part of the interest. That's part of the fun. But it's also a really good way to build your practice because you just discover new things and new ways of crafting spells and working your spirituality. It can be a really cool experience. So now you've got some foundational research. You've got a place where you can interact with your deity. Other ways you can acknowledge their presence and get to know them a little bit better is dressing in their colors that are associated with them, adorning yourself with jewelry or scents that you associate with them as well, adding decor to your home that reminds you of them. That can be an altar, but it can also be as simple as hanging a framed key as part of a gallery wall because whenever you look at that key, you think of Hecate. Or you have a really beautiful portrait of an owl hanging somewhere in your home or a carved wooden owl hanging somewhere in your home because it reminds you of Lilith, makes you think of her presence. All of these things are going to bring you closer to them because when you are close to somebody, you think about them a lot. I think about my wife every second of most days. <laughs> and she feels the same. We don't do this every day, but there are definitely days where we text each other when we're at work and we just talk about I wish you were here. Even though I know she's coming home in the evening, it's one of those things you think about your best friend a lot. You see things that remind you of them. Like you see maybe a poster for a movie that the two of you really love and it makes you think of them and so you, you text them or you send them a brief video chat or something along those lines. It's the same idea where you have these things around you that remind you of your deity so you think about them. Thinking about them is the same as talking to them. So all of these things are meant to make you feel closer to your pantheon. So you've started developing some of an intimacy with your deity. Another step that you can take to deepen that closeness is to perform acts of service in arenas that they rule over. For instance, like I said before, I work with Freya. I also work with Artemis. Volunteering at an animal shelter, particularly one associated with cats or horses, would be a great way to venerate both of those goddesses at the same time. I know that Artemis is usually associated more with deer. I don't know a lot of places that rehabilitate deer, but there are some deer rehabilitation centers. If, if you work with the Brigitte, the Celtic goddess of hearth and home, of the flame, of wisdom and knowledge, and her three aspects, and that's just a surface sweep of her three aspects. But if you work with the Brigitte, a good way to honor her through acts of service may be to volunteer in spaces that work with children, caring for others, volunteering in spaces where the elderly require care and interaction, making food for a sick friend and taking it to them, or going to a friend's home who has been depressed or who has been injured or who's just maybe struggling with personal relationships or mental health, and helping them clean their home. That would be a great way to honor the Brigid and your relationship with her. So when it comes to acts of service, you can pretty much dedicate any act of service you do to any deity. The idea here, though, is to think about how that deity typically interacts with our dimension and the people here, and how you can interpret that as an act of service. 
So when you're thinking about it, you can get a little creative because not everybody has access to the same resources to do the same things. Not everybody has the same amount of time or the same talents. So if you decide you want to do acts of service, you can absolutely do that in very creative ways. It can be as simple as standing up for someone in a vulnerable position. You can absolutely venerate Lilith or Aphrodite or Circe by defending a retail worker who's getting yelled at by a customer who is definitely in the wrong. You shouldn't be yelling at people in public anyway, but we've all seen it. We've all witnessed interactions between the public and retail workers or service workers that were not right. Just simply standing up for them and saying, hey, you need to knock it off. That's an act of service that you can dedicate to your deity. Please don't put yourself in an unsafe position, but that, that is an example of a way that you can do that without necessarily sacrificing time or needing resources that you don't have. So here's where we get into some of the more esoteric ways to interact with deity. One of my very favorite things to do is to prepare food or beverages to share with them. You can set aside a portion for them and invite them to come eat and drink with you. It can be as simple as pouring a cup of tea for Aries and asking him to come and sit with you for a little while. You don't have to have a conversation. You can just share the tea. You can put it on their altar if you'd like. You can put a little bit of popcorn uh, with the cheesy sprinkles on it for, for Loki or Jesus. <laughs> and set it aside while you're watching a movie. Put it on the coffee table for them and invite them to come watch a movie with you. The same way you would a friend or beloved family member. And that can be the extent of the interaction where you simply share a little bit of what you have with them and move on. But for me, this morphed into having physical conversations with them. You can use a talking board or another divination device. For me, it's downloads, it's UPG, which stands for Unverified Personal Gnosis, where I occasionally talk to my deities aloud and allow them to answer me. And this does sound kind of like talking to yourself, but that is absolutely a normal human activity that we do. We're just taught not to do it out loud anymore when we're children. <laughs> All of us still talk to ourselves in our heads. It's not too different from that, except that there's definitely the feeling that the conversation is happening outside of yourself. If you'd like, you can write down their answers. You can create a Q&A thing in one of your books of power or notebook dedicated to that kind of thing, especially if it's a conversation about something that you're struggling with. You're struggling with your mental health. You're struggling with a relationship. You're struggling with financial stability, and you're just talking to your deity, trying to get new insight and new advice. Now, some people would say that this sort of thing, it's spicy psychology. They're not necessarily completely wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the placebo effect. You can say, well, I gave you a sugar pill. You didn't get a painkiller. So your brain just made you think you weren't in pain anymore. That's amazing. That is a miracle that you can convince your body that it shouldn't be in pain so it's not. It's a similar concept with the deities. I absolutely 100% believe that deities exist. I think that they are manifestations of the source vibration that created the cosmos and all the dimensions, that they're higher dimensional beings. But not everyone believes that. Some people believe that they are thought forms or that they're just symbols of different aspects of human life. That's okay. You can still talk to them. <laughs> One of my very favorite interactions with a deity inviting them to come sit with me was when I 
invited Anansi to come and stay. He had been poking me for my entire life. When I was little, we had the biggest spiders in my basement that I have ever seen in my life. They were as large as my dad's hand, the leg span. They were huge and they were everywhere. We lived in the country, the basement was always damp, and they were a constant presence in that fucking basement. As I got older and we moved, I didn't see giant spiders as often, but they still always managed to show up right about the point that I was starting to go to dark places in my mind and with my actions. And since I am afraid of spiders, this startled me enough that I had a conscious realization of where my mind was going and was able to redirect myself. So this continued into my adulthood when I finally realized through my journey into paganism, this is a deity that is reaching out to me, that is interacting with me and trying to keep me safe. <laughs> so when I finally realized it was him, I was living in the apartment that I'm still in now with my wife and we have a small patio. It's got a table and two chairs out there. So I took a small like espresso shot glass. I put a little bit of coffee with some brown sugar, some chili powder, a little bit of rum. I think I might have had vanilla or banana extract and put it that in there as well. I put it on the patio table. I drew my fingers around it in a circle and as I did that, I invited Anansi to come and sit for a spell. I then turned both chairs in toward the table as though two people were about to come and sit down. When I did this, there was nothing odd or strange going on outside. There were no animals around, there were no bugs around, nothing like that. I go outside the next morning to collect the cup because I don't want it to get moldy or break, and there are two spider webs. There's one spider web built in the center of each chair. They're U-shaped chairs. So two spiders had built webs in each chair and there was a green spider sitting in the center of both webs. I have never seen that kind of spider build a web out there before and it has not ever happened again since. So these interactions that we choose to have with our deities can yield some really powerful and very demonstrative results. Another way you can reach out to your deity is the astral. Some people do not want to go to the astral. It is a scary place that they have no interest in exploring. Some people don't have a talent for it, and other people don't believe that the astral exists. All of these are valid viewpoints, and all of them are totally fine. Personally, I believe in the astral. I have been to the astral, and it is a place where you can interact with your deity in person. It's a nearly tangible way to have conversations with them. And while you're on the astral, you can manipulate the energy around you to create these little pockets where you can build a garden on the astral, you can build altars on the astral, you can build a castle on the astral where you meet with your deities and everyone has their own little room or everyone has their own little pocket depending on how many deities you interact with. When you do this, you go into a meditation and you allow your consciousness to go into that plane and you sit down and you have an in-person cup of tea or an in-person glass of lemonade or an in-person interaction with a particular deity from your pantheon. You can see their face, you can see their clothing, they can hand you objects. You can't bring those objects with you into the physical world, but you can enfold them into your energy. And the same goes for anything you eat or drink in this realm. The astral is different from the fairy realm. If you need to go into the fairy realm to interact with any of the beings 
that guide you in your spiritual journey, please don't eat or drink anything. <laughs> Unless there is a very specific caveat that is personal to you, please do not eat or drink anything in the fairy realm. So when you're going into the astral, if you decide that that is a journey you want to take and you've never been there before, the first thing you want to do is begin to learn how to meditate. You just pay attention to breath, pay attention to relaxing your body, and allow your mind to go where it would like. Let it be drawn onto that plane gently. This will take practice. Some people have a natural talent for it. Some people have to work a little harder, just like any other skill. When you're doing this and you feel yourself being drawn into the astral and you know you're gonna make it there, have a friend or a family member in the physical realm sit with you while you do this, at least the first few times. And the other thing you wanna do is you wanna take a guide or guardian with you. This can be a servitor that you have summoned and created to do specific things for and with you. It can be a stuffed animal that once you get to the astral manifests as the animal that it is, a large version of the animal that it is. Same with a statue, or you can ask your deity to meet you at the entrance. If you're going there specifically to meet them, you can ask your deity to meet you right at the entrance and they can be your guide and your guardian while you're on that plane. Whenever I go to the astral, I always take Loki and Hecate with me. I ask them to meet me at the entrance and then we go from there. Loki, because he's a shapeshifter and understands fundamental fabric of the astral plane and interdimensional travel. And Hecate, because she's the goddess and the keeper of portals. So they're the ones who keep me from getting into too much trouble when I'm traveling the astral. You also want to make sure that when you are going onto this plane that you're asking for permission before you go to interact with them. I talked about consent for us earlier. It's also very important that we listen to consent from them. So if there's a particular thing that they don't want us to do, maybe they don't want to interact with us on the astral. Maybe they say, no, that's going to be my private space. I would prefer to interact with you in the physical dimension and the ways that we've been interacting and have my privacy on the astral. That's okay. But just make sure that you are taking precautions. And before you come back into your body, do a little bit of a check to make sure you're not bringing anything back with you that you don't want to have. Have your deity do a check over, have your guardians do a check over, and just make sure that you don't have anything attached to you when you're coming back through. Hopefully, those suggestions inspired some ways for you to interact with your deities and your pantheon, but they don't necessarily answer the question, what is the point? <laughs> Why would you want to interact with the deity in the first place? And I already answered that a little bit. It's partially to explore that vulnerable, close connection that we may not have with our families of origin or with a partner. If you're single, you're a ace, you don't have a desire necessarily to have that connection with a person, but having it with a deity sounds great because it's a very different dynamic. Those are all good reasons. But for me, the point of spirituality is to develop a deeper awareness of self, of nature, of the cosmos, and exploring those energies and how they align with each other. 
So many of my interactions with deity are geared toward learning about vibrational alignment that's making my magic more powerful. They've taught me lessons about healing my physical and spiritual form that have not only helped me but also helped others. I've been able to teach other people how to take care of themselves better, which is an act of service to several of the deities that I work with. I've also turned to my pantheon for support or comfort when I'm feeling some kind of way. I talked about that earlier with Anon Singh, but it's also happened with other members of my pantheon. There have definitely been times that I have felt like I'm on the brink of crisis, and Loki has sat down next to me and told me, you're going to be okay, you're going to get through this, you need to reach out to somebody right now. And again, with the spicy psychology, it's okay if you don't necessarily believe that there is a being called Loki that sat down next to me and told me what to do. The point is that I was able to reach out and get the help that I needed. There are also a lot of modern pagans in generations Gen X, Millennial, Gen Z, especially Gen X and Millennial who have Jones generation and Boomer generation parents who have been rejected by our families of origin for being LGBTQ, for dating someone of a different race or religion than the family is, or even just for holding different political views from the family. So for people who are isolated from their biological families, interactions with deity can help them not only heal that wound, because being cut off from your community, whether or not that community is toxic, is always a traumatic event. It might be the best thing for you, but it's always very traumatic. So they can help you heal from that. They're not perfect substitutes for these relationships, but I know a quite a few ex-evangelicals who say they feel closer more connected to their pagan deities than they ever did to the Christian God. And I include myself in that. As I stated earlier, there was always a separation between me and God, where God would know me intimately, but I would never know much about him. And that felt so strange to me, because that seems like a really unhealthy, unbalanced relationship, <laughs> where one person knows all about the other, but they won't share anything of themselves. You know, you can't know me, but I know you. That's creepy. And I feel like that's one of the reasons that I feel much more connected to my pagan deities, because they share of themselves with me all the time. I can find information about them if I need it. They'll answer my questions, not all of them, and not clearly all the time, but they don't necessarily hide things from me. Like, it seems like they say the Christian God does. It seems like the greatest reason that we interact with deities is because they want to help us, and they want those relationships as much as we do. As an increasing number of us continue to trust them to help us heal and to help us discover more about our world and about community building and how to move forward in a healthier way, we're setting up a much stronger, healthier spiritual foundation for future generations. So that could be the bigger picture. I don't know for certain, but it's a strong theory that one of the reasons that so many of us are turning to paganism is because we are creating this greater spiritual foundation for future generations to draw from. It used to be that children raised by pagans or generational witchcraft was kept to the shadows. It was few and far between. I didn't know anyone personally growing up who was a generational witch. I know that they have existed in my generation and prior, but it wasn't something that was mainstream. 
Now it's becoming very mainstream. Basically anyone who turned to paganism in their teens who is now in their 30s or 40s and has a child is passing that tradition down to their children, which is pretty exciting when you think about it. However, it's important to remember not to get caught up in that greater picture when we're interacting with our pantheon. That's not necessarily our focus. The greater state of the world may be our responsibility because it's everyone's responsibility, but it's not only okay, but necessary to focus on the self, to focus on personal well-being, just as much as you focus on helping those around you. So for now, <laughs> while we recognize that we're part of a greater shift, we can continue our personal interactions with our deities, open a bag of chips, share them with Loki, and call it a day. So I hope that this discussion has inspired you to maybe delve into a deeper connection with the powers in your life. And if you feel someone reaching out and tapping the glass, so to speak, hopefully you have a starting point for how to start to build that relationship with whomever might be reaching out. I hope you have a glorious and wonderful spring day, magic makers. So that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest for more witchy wisdom, both here and on our blog. And you can also check out our original art on Society6 for sacred decor and more. Thanks again for joining us. Go make some magic and live your best life.